0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to D&J's Epic Quest. I am Justorian, and this is... I guess I'll still be Derek, or
1: I can finish off this book. Well, you made it further than he did, so... Oh, ouch, Justin. <laughs> Big ouch. See, <laughs> <Oopsies. laughs> Too soon? Too soon. Uh, ouch. Yeah, Ooh. so... All right. It's going to be that kind of a night.
0: You're his long lost brother who looks exactly like him. I don't know. I'm just, it reminds me of Beer Fest when the fat guy drowns in the beer and then he conveniently has a twin brother that looks exactly like him and has the same mannerisms and everything.
1: It's been a really long time since I've seen that movie. Oh, God. If, if I saw of- it again, it would probably be like seeing it for the first time.
0: You should watch it again. It's freaking hilarious.
1: I love Beerfest. I I I think I feel like if I'm going to watch a movie, I need, I need to watch The Fly. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll
0: have to watch it again because I don't. It's. I feel like I watched it a while ago. Now I've never seen it. It's not bad. It is definitely not bad. Um, but oh well. So how you been? Um, fine. Work has been busy. I've been up in the ceilings removing cameras that have been mounted up there and removing 50 feet and 100-foot cables from uh, inside the ceiling, which is always fun because you don't know what they're zip-tied to. So you're opening up every ceiling tile, every other ceiling tile to, like, follow it from the corner of the room to the
1: middle of the room. Um, So, yeah, that's been fun. You? um we were in branson last weekend so yeah i know i remember it stuck out to me because you said we recorded like three episodes in eight days and now it feels like it's about eight days since we last recorded but i don't think it's quite that long um yeah it feels like a while but it has
0: yeah it definitely has and um you know to our audience we're always about a chapter or two ahead so By the time you're listening to this, we have probably finished the book. Well, we will have
1: finished the book. Um, We may have even read the prologue of Memories of Ice. It's very possible. So, um, yeah, I'm. I'm
0: really. I'm really excited. Really excited, and we'll kind of get into some of the points as we go through. uh, You know, this chapter twenty-three here. But yeah. I'm really excited and anxious to finish it up and just, I've been excited all day, like knowing that I get to come home and record uh chapter 23 here. And then knowing that once I'm done, I am given permission to move on to the last chapter and
1: epilogue. So I'm excited to see what beholds. It is exciting. And then, uh, yeah. And actually, so a week from tomorrow we'll be, on 10 very big books, live stream for charity thing. Um, Our time slot will be 1 p.m. Central. Uh, (laughs) This will come out after that's been done. So not sure why I'm talking about it, but uh, I also I've I've messaged Mr. Erickson twice. I I still haven't got confirmation or heard back from him as far as what we're tentatively hoping for uh, as an August 12th date um But I guess I mean as of right now, we still basically have a month. So hopefully, I hear from him soon. Maybe he's on vacation or something.
0: Maybe, very possible.
1: Every other time I've messaged him, he's gotten back within I think probably a, no more than two days. Yeah, he's probably on vacation. So, so which is fine. But yeah, man, what do you say? What do you say? Should we rip it? Grip it and rip it. Grip it and rip it. Oh yeah, I guess uh, that's me, huh? Um, Typically. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Smartass. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. I haven't fucked with you in
1: any days. <laughs> so yeah. It has been a while. Uh before we get rolling here too deep today, uh just a reminder, we still have our partnership with Silverstones Books. Um their website, Silverstonesbooks.com. I, I know Kevin is adding new stuff all the time, so check back frequently, see if he's got anything you want. Um, And then at least I haven't heard anything from him. We're still waiting for somebody to use our code for 10% off DJ quest. Um, Again, as of right now, July 14th, he's got his Christmas in July special going on sale. That's 25% off. And again, by the time this comes to air, that will be done with. But um, so if you, for whatever reason, if you can't make something there, you can still get ten percent off use our code um, check him out, help him out, help us help him out, and help us help everybody help out some indie authors absolutely
0: absolutely i gotta I gotta get an order a book I just don't know what to do I don't know what to get
1: twenty five percent off right now off everything so. oh plus our our little code too so uh, it does not stack it's just Uh, One or the other. Oh, okay. Well, then I'll wait so I can use the code.
0: (laughs) Which doesn't make any damn sense, but uh, that's what I'm going to do. All right. Um, Patreons, or patrons. I don't know why I always say it, Patreons. Uh, In order of subscription, we've got Jan, the picker of pies, Luciana, intriguing, Ryan, the topological, Damien, the rock of faces, Nate, fiddle me this, Shield, Anvil, Dylan, Quartermaster, Master Sergeant, Lieutenant Parker.
1: Yeah, we got our own little chain of dogs here, and they all made it to the uh, end of the book with us.
0: I was very clever. I really like that.
1: <laughs> it'd be uh, it'd be pretty cool if we could maybe bump that number up to like ten. So if we could get like another three, that'd be pretty cool.
0: That would be really cool. All in good time,
1: though. We just got to keep making
0: top-notch quality content
1: uh you know i think we do a pretty good job and i'm obviously going to be a little bit biased but that last the last episode that you put out which was what chapter chapter 20, chapter 20. so i guess that kind of gives you an idea well, we're recording chapter 23 the last one to come out was 20 but um between whatever you i know you told me you learned some editing trick or something and then this microphone shield thing you have i thought it sounded really good like better than it had before so
0: nice and crisp isn't it
1: it is it really was I was surprised I was listening to my car I'm like oh damn like it's definitely noticeable right Um, you don't have to crank up your volume all the way I mean I still do a little bit because I might be a little hard of hearing but but it's uh, nice to know
0: that like even if it's all the way up and you're still struggling to hear it like when we first started out but now you can just turn it up And you still have a ton to go if you need to, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I just, I I think that to me, that just shows that obviously we care and want to do a good job and do the best we can um, just so it's a good experience.
0: Right, yeah, exactly. And that's ultimately, you know, all we want to provide is just a good experience. And the fact that both of us are new readers, we've never read the series before, and just the amount of wrongness uh, <laughs> that we have. Um, well, Shield Anvil Dylan made a comment on Chapter 20, and what I thought was absolutely hilarious, which is what I shared with you, is he made he made the observation that, you know, I would dive deep into left field and assume everybody's got, like, seven secret identities, mainly all of them being quickbend. Um, but then when you brought up uh, <laughs> Carther, when the first mate called him Carther, um, and you suggested that it, it potentially could be Carther on crust, I immediately denied it. So um, while I don't feel that way anymore, I do think <laughs> that you were absolutely 100% right about that, um, which is interesting. I don't know why I didn't give it a second thought, but um, definitely made, definitely made us laugh. So, thank you for that comment, com, comment, shield, Anvil, Dylan.
1: Yeah, uh, and then you know, just some other comments. I, I do appreciate them because, like that one, I'm sure from your perspective, like, like you probably didn't even think about that until you read that. I imagine.
0: Well, no, um, I, I had the thought. I, you know, it's it's been mulling in my mind, but okay, it's just funny how he he makes that observation that I'm so. Pro Quick Ben being everybody, you know, half the cast, as he said. Um, And then you, and then you make this very astute observation. And I didn't even get to give it the time of day because I was just like, yeah, nah, it's just some guy named Carther.
1: I, uh, kind of piggybacking off of that, I, on our, the comments that we get on the Patreon app from, you know, they listen and, we might get a comment or two there and I don't remember who it was. Um, but it was something that changed how I thought, because at the time I, I didn't think of it, but in, uh, that chapter 20, when they finally arrive at Aaron and, you know, some of the people are so exhausted and they just, you know, give up. And I'm like, you're right there. Like, how can you not want to keep going? And, uh, I, sorry, I, I don't remember which one of you guys. It was fiddle me this. Oh, it was Nate. Yeah. Uh, made the comment that you know like these people have all been through hell like their mind's obviously not right and it's i don't want to say it was like dumb of me but it was just like obviously i'm not in that mindset where like even though it's right there i'm just like in a fuck it attitude it's you know and these people were the you know they've gone through probably one of the worst things anybody could and uh, even though they're right there they're just ready to be done right um, so it just opened me up to a different way of thinking which I appreciated.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I love the fact that, like, you know, um, we're making this journey and we have no idea where it's headed. But it's nice knowing we have a net of people who are supporting us and uh, encouraging us along the way and will give us very nice hints that are very spoiler free. So keeping us really, in line. I really do appreciate uh, the clarity. You know, uh, when it comes to us being confused, um, which, you know what? Hey, we're we're first-time readers. Like, we don't know anything about this world outside of what we've already read. Right. So, I don't, you know, it's not anything that, like, I'm, you know, ashamed of or anything like that. Like, I'm actually really proud that I don't know anything that's happening. Because I like to piece together the shit, you know, even if it's wrong even if I do think quick Ben is half the cast, like I just like to put the pieces together. I don't know.
1: Yeah. And even the one thing that I've had spoiled here so far, hopefully I don't run across anymore, but it was, I mean, it was fairly major and I, I, it still like, I knew it was coming, but I didn't know how, I didn't know when exactly. And it was still pretty jarring when it did happen. Um, yeah. It, it didn't, it didn't really absorb a whole lot of the shock. I don't, for me, um, it was still pretty impactful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm just glad you didn't share with me what that was, even though it was driving me crazy. I'm like, what the fuck is so, like, you know, I would mull it over in my mind. I'm like, what is it that is like, I'm not expecting, you know? And I don't know why I just thought, I just automatically assumed Duker was going to make it. I don't know why I have that in my head, but you know, if that's something that Erickson like planned out for readers to experience and then there's this twist, you know, um, that it's just, it elevates his genius way of writing the way he can lead us one place. And then, well, nope, that's a dead end. Literally. Yeah. All right. I think we've rambled. Uh, We should probably end this tirade.
1: We did ramble a little bit, but I mean, to our benefit, it has been a while since we've had a chance to ramble.
0: That is true, and I guess there's no amount of words that will uh, we could ever conjure up to express the appreciation we feel for our patrons and
1: what they provide. Very us. true. So very true. Would you like me to read this epigraph? Go for it. All right. Well, I guess yeah. I, I think I can manage that. You got this. Was a a pretty just and heavy chapter here, so. Yep. Lasine sent Tavor rushing across the seas to clasp Coltane's hand, and closing her fingers, she held crow-picked bones. The Shaikh uprising woo.
0: So do you think this is like uh, a, basically a way of saying Tavor is picking up where the crow Clan left off?
1: Uh, I feel like it's saying that she was too late and she finds this corpse basically. Well there's not a corpse to find, but right. Um basically I just I get the sense that all this is saying is that she was too late.
0: Yeah. It's just, but you know, I guess there's there's always more to it, right? Like maybe I don't know. I still don't I still don't understand the whole ascension thing. That part in the Salanda where he punches Gessler and he actually makes Gessler bleed. But Gessler is like a half of an ascendant. And so because he made a bleed, that must mean Coltane is like half of an ascendant too. That part I'm like, are we
1: gonna get clarity on that or like is that over with? I I don't know. <laughs> I just I just feel like Coltane, as badass as he was, was just a dude. I don't know.
0: Well, I guess we'll just have to trust and when we're done with the series <laughs> And we still don't have an answer to that, then maybe that's when we we bring in the community and talk about it for sure but yeah section one here of uh, chapter twenty three from Deadhouse Gates Kalam threw himself into the shadows at the base of a wall he pulled the still warm corpse over him. he laid still, slowing his breathing a few moments later footsteps were heard and one one of the claws stated that he, he he was pursued and then ambushed what kind of man is he the female claw responded by saying that he couldn't be far away the leader to the leader told the two to stop their muttering and to spread out and he'll stay in the middle sorcery cast its cold breath kalam thought in his head that this dude was an unseen so that meant he was the first to go he listened as he heard the other two walk off as the assassin knew which pattern they would choose Kalam waited a moment before slipping off the corpse of the man and rose into a crouch. He went into the street, his feet making no sound. For someone who knew what to look for, the blooming edge of sorcery was barely visible. This was a spell that was not easy to maintain and was weaker from behind. Kalam was able to make out the figure hiding inside. He closed the distance like a charging leopard, his elbow connected with the leader's skull, killing him on the spot. He was able to catch one of the two crossbows the leader had held. The other clattered in the street. Cursing silently to himself, he continued his charge, angling right to the mouth of the alley where one of the others went. He dived at the muted snap of a crossbow and felt the quarrel rip through his cloak. He then rolled into the alley, sliding on rotting vegetables. An alcove appeared on his left and he got inside of it, readying his two crossbows. A figure appeared into view, and Kalam fired. He saw the figure twist and duck. He knew he had missed, but her dagger did not. Her blade thudded as it hit him just below the right collarbone. An iron star thudded on the wooden door just above Kalam's face. He fired the second crossbow he had, and it hit the female claw in her belly. She was dead as the bolt had the poison of white peralt on its tip. Kalam, however, was still alive as the weapon that protruded from his chest must have been clean of poison. He removed the knife from his chest. All his other weapons he had found had been used up, except for the tongs and the sackcloth tacks. He knew the last hunter was close and was likely waiting for Kalam to make the first move, as he likely knew where the assassin hid, as the body that he had just dropped lay in front of him was a dead giveaway. He thought to himself, now what do I do? He could feel the heat of blood that trickled down his side. This was not the first time he had been wounded, as he had three other minor wounds from earlier in the night. He focused on slowing the, of, slowing the wounds of the blood, but was struggling. He was weakening and fast. Kalam looked up and saw a wooden balcony seven feet above him, held by a wooden brace. He might be able to reach it by jumping, but that would be too noisy. He withdrew the tongs, and with the bloody knife now in his mouth, he straightened. Reaching up with the tongs, he put the tongs over the brace and slowly lifted his body weight up. He wondered to himself if the brace would hold his weight. The brace did not so much as groan under his weight. The challenge was getting higher and higher without a sound. He drew his legs up slowly and then he moved his right leg into the triangular space between the balcony and the brace. He hooked the brace with his leg and was able to release the tension in his arms. He hung there, motionless for a minute. Claus liked waiting games as they excelled in games of patience. Kalam thought to himself that he didn't play by their rules, as he expected that this is what the hunter was doing. He slipped the tongs free again and probed the balcony in, in minute increments. This was the greatest risk as he had no idea what or who occupied the balcony. When the tongs went as far as they could go, he set them on the balcony and left them there. The knife stayed clenched between his teeth. With both hands, he reached for the balcony and slowly pulled himself away from the brace and gripped the balcony's edge. He climbed the rail and then swung his leg over and crouched on the balcony. He scanned the area. He saw a small dog at the opposite end of the balcony. The dog was chewing on half of a wrap, and as it chewed, it stared back at Kalam. There was no predicting the dog as it might bite him or it might lick his hand. The dog finished the wrap and then licked its paws. The bark exploded from nowhere. Kalam jumped onto the balcony rail, spotting a blur of motion in the alley below. He went for it. As he dropped through the air, he was sure he was finished. His lone hunter had found allies, another hand. Sorcery struck upward at him like a massive fist. His knife flew from his hands, but because of the twisting of his body from the mage's attack, the knife missed and hit the street. Kalam's target charged him, blades flashing in each hand. Kalam attempted to defend, but the attacker made a swift movement and knives scored the sides of Kalam's ribs, and the attacker's forehead connected with Kalam's face. A moment later, the attacker reared back, straddling Kalam. He raised both knives. Suddenly, a snarling bundle landed on the attacker's head. He shrieked as canines ripped open one side of his face. Kalam caught one of the attacker's wrists and snapped it and pulled the knife from his hand. The attacker was struggling to thwart the dog and dropped his other knife and was reaching for the squirming dog. Kalam sunk the knife into the attacker's heart. Pushing the body away, Kalam scrambled upward only to realize he was surrounded. A female claw said to Kalam that he can call off his dog. Kalam explained that it wasn't his. The female claw told one of her fellow claws to put the damn thing out of its misery. Kalam said that there was no need and that it was unnecessary and grabbed the dog by the scruff and tossed it, tossed the dog back onto the balcony. Kalam told the woman claw to get over with it already. A quarrel impact threw the female claw into Kalam's arms, the arrow through her chest almost piercing him. The other four claws dived for cover as horse hooves were heard in the street. He saw his stallion charging for him, with Manala holding a crossbow in the saddle. He grabbed the edge of the saddle and swung into the horse. Manalo shoved the crossbow into his hands and told him to cover them. The four claws now pursued them. He fired the crossbow and saw them all duck. The bolt missed and bounced off the wall. The alley opened onto a street. Manalo wheeled the horse to the left and bolted the horse forward. Atlanta City Harbor District was a tangle of narrow, twisting streets and alleys, impossible for a horse at lead gallop, in the dead of night not to mention. The next few minutes was the wildest ride Kalam had ever known. Manala's skill was breathtaking. After a while, Kalam leaned close and asked where in Hood's name was she taking him. She guided the horse across a wooden bridge. Looking up, he saw the upper district, and beyond it was Mock's hold. He called her name. She said that if Kalam wanted the empress, then she was right up there in Mock's hold. Kalam cursed inside his head. Fucking intense, man. It just, every time I read this section, every time, well, not every time, but the one time I summarized the section, um, it it was just, it, it was just so much fun to just go from line to line and, you know, again, put all the pieces together.
1: It, uh, to me, it felt like Assassin's Creed. I get that feel. I see where you're coming from there. Yeah, like the first game, you know, you're like climbing up the sides of the buildings and stuff, and jumping off them, and fighting like a bunch of guys. I could better play some. Of, I think the last one I played was the pirate one, which was fun. But
0: well, I gave up on the Assassin's Creed games. Um, it was more just how repetitive the first one was.
1: Yeah, I get that this was not very repetitive though this this uh section.
0: Oh, definitely not. Definitely not. The hard part is, is I don't really have a ton of stuff to talk about, which I think is really uh unusual for me. Um but it, it was just it was a very, you know, action-packed episode. There's not a lot of uh, like things to pick apart. I enjoyed the whole thing. Um but just you know the tension of Kalam inside this alcove, knowing right like his claws training i get the I get the sense that it's like you can't break the rules until you know the rules type of vibe from Kalam, you know right he knows he knows how the claws operate, which is probably their disadvantage in trying to fight him, right They need to stop thinking like a claw it's
1: a good point, yeah, I don't think they're uh I think Kalam's just more ruthless than they are. Yeah.
0: It's just the, you know, the amount of suspense, like you can, you can, you get a sense of how overwhelmed he is, but yet he remains calm. And like a lot of his thoughts are focused around trying to stop the bleeding, you know, they're not thoughts about, oh my God, I'm doomed. They're not Duiker thoughts. <laughs> Let's just say that, you know?
1: Yeah. He is very calm for being, you know, He's what? how many times has he been wounded? Three, four, five times. Um, You know, he's taken some hits. (laughs) I don't know how calm I would be if I got, you know, stabbed in the shoulder, basically, and just about have a a throwing star beat my face in. Right. I'd probably be a little bit more, uh, I guess, maybe nervous or amped up a little bit, but I'm also not a trained killer so some of it a little different
0: there yeah yeah um it's just you know the suspense of of him in the alcove and he's just like well i know it's a waiting game so what other option do i have oh and then he looks up and he sees the balcony you know and then he gets on top of the balcony and there's this fucking dog just chewing on a rat you know and gives him away. essentially, you know, and then I think it was it was nice of Kalam to not let the claws kill him. He just scrubs him and then toss <laughs> tosses his dog back up on the balcony
1: yeah it was it was interesting to see dogs or a dog play at you know another big role i mean because we had the the uh the candy or that was the i can't even remember what they were called, but you know the dogs with the chain of dogs um You know, they were, no, the, uh, bent, you know, on that, um, I just can't remember what breed they were. Um, but you know, another dog, yeah, the cattle dogs, there you go. You know, another dog playing a, having a big moment, changing things really. Yeah. Um, Not the first, not the first time we've seen that thing. It's kind of interesting.
0: So do you think there's like something hidden
1: there? Is there something that, these
0: dogs having moments and tell us about what's happening in the story?
1: I guess I don't really think so. I mean, just, I don't know. Just interesting. It's interesting to me that it's not just, you know, it's not just up to the the. I guess, you know, the humans or the people or whatever. Cause I know the other book, we got bargast and, you know, we've got Tisty Andy, Tisty Edur um, Jag Hut trail you know we've got these different races but uh you know it's we've got a dog ripping a guy's face off and we had a cattle hound you know it ripped a guy's throat out after it got turned into a you know a bed for arrows yeah, yeah skewered i just i just feel like you don't see a lot of, of that where unless you're reading like a red wall book or something you know but um where animals are I don't want to, I think pivotal might be too big of a word, but where they, they have
0: an impact. An impact.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. At least semi impactful.
0: Sure. Yeah. That's fair.
1: That's absolutely
0: fair. Um, Yeah. I mean, I guess I won't, I won't dig into it or overthink about it, but I mean, potentially there's something there. Maybe it's just, Maybe it's a representation that even though this dog may be insignificant compared to humans, that could be like how the humans are to the gods, right? A representation of, you know, like, we may be inferior to you because we don't have all these fancy-dancy powers, but we're going to stand up for ourselves and we're going to bite your faces off, you
1: know? (laughs) Right. I do have one really important question before we move on from that. Uh oh! Do you think the rat dog was quick, Ben? No, I don't think the rat dog was quick. <laughs> okay, I had to check.
0: Now it's your turn to sass me. <laughs> I think the rat. I, I think the rat was quick, Ben. He met his oh, demise uh, in the jaws of this. I imagined it as a, like a pug, in my mind. I don't know why. Probably because I don't like pugs,
1: but I had a uh, like a Yorkie. Yorkshire Terrier in, in my mind kind of maybe a little bit bigger than that but that kind of like fluffball type thing Gotcha,
0: fair enough hmm. huh. other, The other thing that I really loved was just just like, just when you feel like Kalam is caught boom, Manala shows up and just saves the fucking day you know, it's just like you could just all see everything that was happening in the section play out
1: yeah, and I guess I mean she she got to ride her horse to save him. <laughs> you mean yeah. his horse? She got to ride his horse to save him. Was what horse did was on uh Pormqual ship? His stallion. Was that oh was it? Okay. Yeah. Cause remember when he left in
0: Aaron, he was just like, Take my horse.
1: I don't really remember that, but yeah. I'll trust you. I, I mean, guess I kind of forgot Clom went to Aaron.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was in that chapter where I couldn't say, uh I couldn't say the word necropolis. Yeah, see, a necropolis. See, I can't fucking say it now.
1: A necropolis?
0: A necropolis. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, it was that chapter. Oh, okay. they came out of the Imperial Orient. Oh, yeah, that's ringing. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, necropolis. Necropolis. I'm going to get it one of these days. You will. I just have to hear it first.
1: <laughs> it It happens. Yeah, I
0: mean, intense, intense way to start a, a chapter. I think my favorite part was just the waiting game that Kalam had with his other claw before he decided to move upward vertically and and, you know, traverse the balcony.
1: Right. And to do it silently. I mean, if the dog didn't bark, he would have been undetected.
0: Well, right. But I mean, like he was able to just like I just imagined him like suspended in the air you know, slowly inching his way up to this brace and then like kicking his legs up, you know? Uh, yeah. It's just a feat of strength I can no longer do.
1: And again, to do it silently while you're injured. (laughs) Right.
0: Yeah, exactly. Outside of that, I don't have any other, any other thoughts for
1: this particular section. Uh, I think we had a pretty good talk about it. I wasn't really expecting to talk about dogs so much, but uh, (laughs) there we go. Very true. Should I take my, uh, first section here? You mean
0: your second to last section?
1: Yeah. My second to last section. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't, uh, I didn't really have a lot jotted down as far as notes on this, but I'm sure we'll have, have some stuff to talk about here because it was, it, uh, it was an eye opener, um, Kind of in in some different ways. Oh,
0: for sure. Yeah. And some predictions
1: come to fruition too. (laughs) There you go. All right, here we go. The tiles fell out from under their feet without a sound. The companions were swallowed by the vast emptiness. The drop came to a sudden stop with an unforgiving impact on the ground. Fiddler sat up adjusting his pack and nursing his barely healed ankle. The pain was tremendous everyone else appeared to be uninjured they were in a round room identical to the one they left in tremolor for an instant fiddler thought they may be back in that room then he noticed the smell of salt in the air fiddler said they were there crocus asked what made him so confident he said he could smell malas bay and asked if he noticed how damp the air was crocus said it could be any house by any bay Fiddler said that is possible. Abslar said it was all just a matter of finding out and asked if Fiddler had hurt his ankle again. He said yes and wished Mopo was here with his elixirs. Crocus asked if he could walk and Fiddler said that he had no choice. Relic approached and said he saw a lantern. Someone was home. Crocus said that's just great as he drew his knives. Fiddler told him to put them away as they were guests or they'd already be dead and they should introduce themselves. As they made their way down the hallway, they saw a huge set of armor, just as in Sremelor, except this one had seen significantly more battle. Absalar entered first into the main chamber. The fireplace seemed to be burning without any fuel, and the darkness around the edges revealed it to be a warren. A figure stood with its back to them, looking into the fire, at least seven feet tall with a long ponytail going down its back. It did not turn, but spoke. Your failure in taking a carrium has been noted. Fiddler said in the end it was not up to them. He spoke Mappo's name and was cut off. Oh, yes, Mappo, the trell. He has walked at a side too long, it seems. There are duties that surpass friendship. The elders scarred him deep when they destroyed an entire settlement and laid the blame at a feet. They imagined that would suffice. A watcher was needed, desperately. The one who held that responsibility before had taken his own life. For months, Ikarium had walked the land alone, and the threat was too great. Hearing these words ripped Fiddler apart. He thought about how Mappo thought Icarium destroyed his home, murdering his family and everyone he knew. How could they have done that to him? The man said that the Azath had been working on this for a long time. He turned to the group, revealing a tusked face and a greenish tint to his skin and eyes that resembled dirty ice. Fiddler could not believe it. The resemblance was unmistakable. The Jaghut said his son must be stopped and that his rage was a poison. Some responsibilities surpass friendship. Some surpass even blood." Apslar apologized and said the task was beyond their capabilities, of all of those in this room. The figure looked at the group and said perhaps. Now it was his turn to apologize, as he had high hopes. Fiddler whispered, Why? Why is a carrion so cursed? The jag cocked his head, then turned back to the fire. He spoke, Wounded warrens are a dangerous thing. Wounding one? is far more so. My son sought a way to free me from the Azath. He failed and was damaged. He did not understand, and now he never will, that I am content here. There are few places in all the realms that offer Jagat peace, or rather such peace as we are capable of receiving. Unlike your kind, we yearn for solitude, for that is our only safety. He turned to face them again and said for Acarium, there is a different irony. Without memory, he knew nothing of what once motivated him. He remembers nothing of the wounded warrens or secrets of the Azath. The jag smile turned into a painful one. As he said, he remembered nothing of him either. Suddenly, Absalar lifted her head and asked if his name was Gothos. He gave no answer. Fiddler went to sit on a bench, thinking that he was glad for his mortality and that he could not live as these ascendants do. The Jag said it was time for them to leave. If they had any injuries, there was a bucket of water at the door that would heal them, and told them that the streets were full of danger and to be careful. Abslar looked at Fiddler as he was full of emotions and tears were in his eyes over Mappo and Acarium. She told them they needed to leave. Fiddler said he could use some water. They made their way to the door and found the water as promised. Abslar offered a ladle full to Fiddler. He took a deep drink, then yelped in pain. A moment later, it was gone. He warned the others not to drink it unless they really needed it. Abslar put the ladle back and opened the door. The yard was enclosed by a low wall. Beyond it were houses, everyone with its shutters closed. Crocus could only say, well, as he turned to Fiddler. He said it was Malaz city and Crocus said it was damned ugly. Fiddler tested his ankle and said he had no pain at all. He looked out into the street, no movement, no sound, and he didn't like it. Abslar said sorcery had touched the city and she knew its flavor. Fiddler asked if it was Claw. She only nodded to reply. He said it was going to be up close and personal fighting then. Apslar said, if they were unlucky. Crocus asked where they would go. Fid said they should try Smiley's. It was a place him and Kalam knew well enough. As they stepped out of the gate, a huge shadow came over them. It was apt and a child. The young one said they sought Kalam Makar. It was not a question, but Apslar said yes. The child said he approached the keep on the cliff. Fiddler interrupted naming the place Moxhold and wondered why he went there. The child told them he was looking for the empress. Surprised, Fiddler exclaimed that she was here. The rider said they would guide them through the shadow and away from the claw. Absalar simply said to lead on. Poor Akarium, his story just keeps getting, it's It's like another layer of sadness just gets added on to it.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, and Mappo too, right? Like he's under the impression that Icarium this whole time had destroyed the town. But remember when Icarium had those like dreams, he's dreaming the correct thing. He's dreaming about what actually happened, which is like making, you know, it's making Mappo doubt a lot about what happened you know
1: yeah it's pretty rough i mean you know you know he's done a lot of terrible things and and it almost makes it worse that he doesn't know why he did why he did it or you know what his motivations were he was trying to rescue his dad and his his dad you know now he finds out or well we find out as the reader that his dad doesn't even want to be rescued
0: right because he's content he's at peace you know, as we learned in one of the chapters with Duiker, when they were passing all the barrows, is that the Jag yeah. had li- like to live, you know, in solitude, even from themselves. So...
1: And obviously, carrier must have or be some sort of exception to that if he's trying to save his father. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if maybe any other one would have done the same thing. I feel like that's kind of hard to say.
0: He's half, he's half Jag and half something else,
1: so... So he's probably got some different emotions or maybe just they go a little bit deeper, I guess.
0: Yeah, I guess the only questions that I really have is like, I feel like for the most part, this pretty much answers Mapo and Icarium story for this book. Um, But, you know, why was all of this set up by the Nameless Ones and the Azath? right? Like, I think that's what we need to get kind of
1: some answers for. Well, they wanted to capture him. Yeah, but why? But but why? I don't know. Yeah, right. Did did they did they want him instead of his father? Is this like a, uh, what the f- like? We'll let you stay
0: if we have if we can have your son, like a bargain.
1: No, I'm just trying to think of the movie, uh, Katniss Everdeen. I can't remember the name of the movie. Mockingjay. Hunger Games. Just like a Hunger Games type thing, like. His dad volunteered in his son's place i don't you know and i don't know
0: gotcha maybe i don't know i don't know i guess there's there's definitely a lot there i mean i don't feel like i need to know about it now but it's it's like it's a nice little mental note you know and do you think do you think that this is actually gothos because i mean he doesn't answer Absolar,
1: but i feel like that in itself is an answer because if he wasn't you I feel like you would just say no, right?
0: I mean, I I totally agree with you. I you know I I think I think it's Gothos
1: as well. I feel that way, and that's I think that's what I'll believe until we learn I otherwise. <laughs>
0: <That's> right, <laughs> till we find out otherwise. I really liked the saying where it was, uh, you know, Karyem's dad was talking about broken, damaged warrens are dangerous, but. God, what was it? Something about broken. wounding
1: one is even more so, more dangerous. Right. Is more
0: dangerous, yeah. I guess that adds another level of like world building, right? Like this is kind of a new concept ish to us, right? Like we could understand that uh, you know a warren can be broken or it could be you know two halves, but I didn't. I guess I didn't you know realize that you could intentionally wound a
1: Warren if you wanted to. Well, how would you even do that though? I don't know. That's like, I feel like, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I mean, to interrupt you.
0: No, I think we're just having a conversation about wounding Warrens. I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know why you would want to, but you know, anything's game in this universe. So.
1: Well, I guess, I mean, if you, I, first of all, I've, I feel like if you were going to injure one or damage one, like you would probably have to use the power of a different warren to do damage to the other one. I don't think you could use the power from the same one to damage itself. Maybe you can, I don't know, but in my mind, it makes sense to me to use, you'd be using the power from something else. As far as the why, I guess we know some people can use multiple warrens, right? But it seems like most can use one. So if you damage it, then you're making it really dangerous or unsafe for somebody else to use it. And it seems like a pretty good way to limit whatever that other person or group of people want to do. Right. Like taking down that. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Like a strategic thing, like, you know, taking down my enemies because now they can't, their mages can't use that Warren because it's broken.
1: Yeah. You just kind of
0: neutralize them. Yeah. I guess it would always. I guess from what I understand, I don't think that there's like a set limit of horns, though. You know, like I feel like there, there's a multitude of them. You know, all of them having varying properties.
1: Right. Well, we know Quick Bend can use seven, and from from what we've heard, like that's almost unheard of. Right. So I'd assume that's pretty rare. There's probably not many that can do that. Maybe he's the only one who can handle seven. I don't know.
0: Maybe, yeah. I guess it's just a, it's just a, it's a cool little thing that makes you think, and you know, you obviously have no answers to it. But I would imagine that the story isn't over. So I guess I'm looking forward to more of that in future books.
1: Yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, I don't think I've really got anything else to talk about. Um, I thought it was kind of interesting. You know, he drank that water and it caused him more pain for a moment before it healed him.
0: But do you think that it's uh, it's a little bit ironic at that point? Like, in order maybe, to be healed or healed, you have to go through pain.
1: Maybe just sped the process up, and he just felt it all at once instead of it kind of dulling out over time. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. What did you think of Gotho's
0: conversation with all these guys? Like,
1: uh, it was pretty sad,
0: but do you i mean i guess do you have any any speculation or thoughts as to like why he want wanted or why he thought he or they would have given given a to the Uzath? like why is he assuming that they were that they were gonna do it like why is he disappointed in them i mean he clearly knows a story
1: maybe he would have been able to see him you know if he could see his son i'd Maybe he's, you know, the the Guardian, maybe the Guardians in each house have, you know, maybe they could release people from him if they chose to.
0: Maybe. Maybe the Guardians can talk to each other.
1: But just, I mean, if you've got all this time, maybe he was hoping to repair his memory.
0: So, I mean, I guess are you under the assumption, I guess in your head canon, do you believe Icarium has
1: his memories or no? Maybe somewhere buried deep. I think he maybe would be capable of recovering them almost like a 51st a dates type thing. You know, it's just going to take a a bunch of repetition for it to kind of sink in. And I don't know.
0: I mean, I think he has because uh, that keening sound that he made while Mappo tried to hold him back at the gates of Tremelar, I think that was him remembering because otherwise otherwise why would he be wailing because it seemed like it was like an unconscious act you know like because he was knocked out right like Ma- mapo clubbed him um and knocked him out in the previous in the chapter before that so you know it just kind of seemed like something made him wake up and scream grief you know and then mapo hugged him into unconsciousness again
1: i'm not sure really how to
0: respond <laughs> yeah i just i don't know part of me feels like he has his memories um uh, despite what gothos is saying here i think that he remember he remembers now
1: maybe he's like kind of beginning to i don't know if he fully does but
0: right yeah like he's not at full back. capacity but yeah i hear what you're saying
1: um uh, anything else you want to talk about there
0: no, it, uh, it was a very linear section, another linear section, kind of, you know, moving the pace forward. Agreed. Well,
1: if you want to take your, what well, this will be, your second to last section now, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was no slowing their
1: pace as they rode
0: toward the foot of the stone stairs leading up the cliff face. The horse surged beneath them. Before the beast's hooves touched stone, a warren opened up and swallowed them. Hooves skidded wildly beneath them, and Kalam was thrown from the horse. Polished stone floor knocked the wind out of him as he landed. They had arrived in a musty hallway. Kalam climbed to his feet, and Manala asked where they were. Kalam explains that they are in Mok’s hold. He retrieved the crossbow and said that the Empress knows they are coming, and she grows impatient. Manala explains that if that's the case, then they're as good as dead. Kalam nodded towards the doors in the main hall. Manala wondered if there were others, if there were other approaches. Kalam said there weren't any that survived, and the Empress’s back door would be a warren. Manala climbed down from the saddle and is heard asking if the Empress has been watching them this whole time. he asked her if she meant if she was magically watching, or if she knew about her. It was a possibility, but for the sake of the situation, let's pretend that she didn't. He handed her the crossbow and said that he would lead the horse through the doors. She cocked the weapon and he looked at her and asked Manala how she got here. She explains that she was on the imperial transport that came in behind the rag stopper. Kalam couldn't help but wonder why. Manala scoffs and tells him that he really couldn't be this dense. He gathered the stallion's reins and walked toward the old double doors. He laid his hand on the wooden doors. The dark stained wood was sweating. There was sorcery on the other side, powerful sorcery. With a glance back at Manala, he opened the door. It opened silently. Inky darkness flowed out, and a woman's voice told him to step within. Kalam strode into the dark before he was told that he had gone far enough. The voice admitted that unlike Topper and the Claw, she does not underestimate Kalam. Kalam could see nothing, and the voice seemed to be coming from everywhere all at once. Empress Lassine stated that he had come all this way to kill her. Why? The question startled him. Her voice was slightly amused as she asked why Kalam struggled to find an answer to her question. Kalam growled. The deliberate murder of the bridge burners. The outlaw- outlawing of Dujek, The attempted murders of himself. Whiskey Jack and the rest of the Ninth Squad. Old disappearances. A hand in the death of his Decim Ultor. The assassination of Dancer and the Emperor, the Empress was silent for a long time after Kalam finished with his list of items. She then asked if he was her jury and executioner. All Kalam could say was that he was. In response to this, she asked if she was permitted a defense. He bared his teeth. The voice was coming from everywhere at all at once, except for one spot, the corner off to his left. Kalam told the Empress that she could try to give a defense. Inside, he had, inside his head, he thought he could barely stand upright, and she's likely to have wards. He thought of something Quick Ben had said, when you've got nothing, bluff. Lucine's tone hardened and started off by explaining that Tayshrin's efforts on Jenna Backus were misguided, and the decline of the bridge burners was not her intention. She explained that there was a young girl within this, within his squad that was possessed by a god that wanted to kill her. Kalam explains that this that, that she was wasting time, as he already knew about that. She responds with a quip about wasting time, and then moves on to answering the rest of Kalam's charges. She explains that outlying Dujek was just a temporary thing, more of a ruse. She perceived the threat of the Panian domain, but Dujek was under the opinion that he couldn't deal with it himself, so he needed to fashion allies from the Empire's enemies. They needed Darujistan's resources. They needed Brood, Rake, and his Tistandi, the Bargast, and the Rivi. They could all see the threat and were not dumb to logic. And the only real answer to this rising empire was to work together. As outlaws, they are distanced from the Malazan Empire and its desires. Kalam thought for a second and then asked who knows of this ruse. Hossein responded that only Dujak and Tayshrin knew about it. Kalam then asked what Taishren's role in all this was. The Empress responded that, with what sounded like a smile on her voice, she explained that he is merely there in the event that Dujek needs him. His shaved knuckle, if you will. Kalam was silent for a long time, and could only hear his breathing and the droplets of his blood hitting the ground. Frowning, he thought to himself that these were the only sounds he could hear. He blurted out that there are older crimes that remain. Lucene responded by saying that, yes, she assassinated Calavan a Dancer, thus ending their rule. She usurped the throne, a vicious betrayal in truth, but an empire is greater than any lone mortal. She goes on to explain that she answered a need, and she actually knew the, the two men quite well. She admits that she made some errors in judgment, and she unfortunately has to live with those. Kalam stated the name Daseem Altar, and he was cut off by Lucine, explaining that the man was ambitious and sworn to hood. She, couldn't, she wouldn't risk civil war, so she struck first, as she has no regrets for that one. All Kalam could say was that it seemed like she had practiced the speech. In his mind, he reaffirms himself that, this, that she most definitely has prepared for this type of encounter scene in her defense, explains that if Tassem was in in was here instead of her, how close would he have let Kalam get? She was silent for a time, and then stated that it seemed that her effort to disguise the direction of her voice had failed, as he now faced her directly. Three or four steps and he could end the reign of Empress Lusin. What does he choose? Smiling, Kalam shifted his grip on his knife, and thought to himself that he would play along. He started to say Seven cities, before he was cut off again by her angered reply. She snapped that it would be answered in kind. His eyes widened at the anger in her voice. He thought to himself that she would know. The empress didn't need her illusions after all, and thus the hunt ends here." He then sheathed his knife, he smiled in admiration as he heard her gasp. "She's heard saying that she admits that she is confused. After hearing this, he has another thought about how he didn't expect her acting to be a forte she had. Kalam responds and tells her that she could have begged for her life. She could have given him more reasons or explanations, but she spoke not with her voice, but with the empress, but with the empires. He then turned away. He said that he would not reveal her hiding place and he would leave. She tells him to wait. Manalo was covering the... Oh, whoops. He paused and then and raised his eyebrows at the uncertainty he heard in her tone. She explained that there was nothing she could do about the claw. Kalam agreed, as he knew that they deal with their own. She then asked where he would go. He turned around and led the stallion to the doorway. He stopped and turned back one more time and said that if she meant to ask if he would come for her again, well, he wouldn't. Manella was covering the entrance and straightened a bit when Kalam came through the door. He shut the door. Manala asked him what went on in there as she heard lots of voices and murmuring. She asked if he killed her. Inside Kalam's head, he told himself that he'd killed a ghost. No, a scarecrow in Lucene's guise. He tells Manala that it was nothing but mocking echoes and that they are done here. Manala is flabbergasted and can't believe that he'd crossed three continents to get here, just to leave. He responded that it's in our nature to cling to the belief that such simple solutions exist. He wanted a sworn enemy dead, but instead he had an audience with a mortal woman, more or less. He explains that regardless of the outcome, they still have the cause to deal with. Manala asked what they were to do next. Kalam suggested that, it take that, Kalam suggested that they take it straight down their throats. Leading the stallion, they went down the hallway.
1: Not the interaction I was expecting.
0: What were you expecting? Uh,
1: not that. <laughs> I I kind of thought he'd try to kill her.
0: You think that it would have been a little bit more confrontational? Yeah. Well, why do you think that is?
1: Just because that was like the stated goal was to kill her. Yeah, but I mean, she's not actually there. Well, right. But I that- don't. Before he went in there, I don't think he knew that.
0: No, I definitely don't think so. But. Did you pick up the specific spot where he figured it out? When she was in the corner? Yeah.
1: I guess I don't remember the specifics of what she was saying at that particular time.
0: Yeah, well, it's to me, it was a part where uh, he was like in a response after Lucene is talking about Tayshren being Dujek's shaved knuckle. Kalam, after that, was silent for a long time but it was then he could only hear his breathing and the droplets of his blood hitting the ground. So those are physical representations of what our bodies do. And the fact that you are only hearing yourselves when you're having a conversation with somebody else, that to me is the part where he figures out that she's not actually there. Gotcha. I didn't figure that out. It's just me. I mean, I could very well be wrong. I think it makes sense. Uh, I got a big big smile on my face when I read Rivi because I was just like, Yes, Tattersale. I didn't think about her at all. <laughs> I missed Tattersale. So hopefully we get to like come back and you know you know see her. Because right now she's still kind of a child, right? She's still a child.
1: Uh but like an infant. yeah, yeah, basically a child, yeah. So, so who that, knows what she's how much she's grown? You know during the time of this book.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Uh, well, I mean, it took him about a year to get from Genabacus to dead or to to the seven cities, and then I would imagine that the events here are probably what like nine, ten, eleven, maybe even a year.
1: I would say probably a year tops. So, oh well.
0: Um, the whole thing with like Dujek being a ruse, do you buy any of that when she's explaining about Dujek wanting to align with the Malzan enemies to take down the Panian domain? I mean, I definitely see that happening, but the way that she's pitching it, do you think that that, do you believe that? Do you believe that she was in on that decision?
1: Maybe a little bit, just because only uh, one arm and Taishren know about it. So if it's a secret, I mean, really only three people know about it, right? The Empress and then those two. The fewer people that know about it, the better. So I I could see it. Yeah, I don't... I don't... I don't
0: I don't see Lucine wanting to work with her enemies. I don't see it.
1: Well, if the Panion is a bigger threat, then, I mean, you're just... I mean, you gotta worry about them, I guess, first. So yeah. use what you got to try to take them out. And I guess in the process you hope that the rest are too weakened to really do anything after the fact maybe maybe
0: yeah i don't know i guess i don't know i guess i just i don't believe it i I don't believe her i believe that they're working together but i don't believe that she's just okay with it you know i don't believe that the bridge burners uh was not hurt like the decline of the bridge burners was not her intention like that thing i don't believe that
1: yeah that maybe i i don't know how much i believe that that part but
0: all right um one thing that i thought was peculiar is after she explains to kalam about the ruse between dujak and tashran and you know what we just got done talking about it says in the book that kalam thought for a second And then after that, he had asked who knows about the ruse. And I just, I thought that that was just interesting to pick apart because is this meant to make us, the readers, think that he's thinking about something different than what was, than what he was asked? Because, I mean, I guess we as readers, we have never been shorn away from Kalam's thoughts. So I thought it was interesting that his thoughts were not revealed at that point in time. I don't know what to think about that. I mean, Kalam, I feel like, is playing fast and loose with the scene with a corpse in here, right? Like, you got that sense, too? Like, what, yeah. what Quick Ben always says, if you don't have anything, bluff. I very much think that he still wants to kill her.
1: You're just going to have to pick a different time for right. it. Right. Yes.
0: He's being strategic. He's being Kalam. It's what he does best. Right. Oh, man. The other thing that uh, that hit me in the feels in this section was when she's telling and explaining that Taishren is mainly Dujek's shaved knuckle. And after the whole Duiker and Malak thing, this just gives me a real bad vibe. Or when the Panion domain is thwarted, Taishren has alternate orders to continue his assault on the bridge burners, You know, like... After, if the Panian domain is is essentially eliminated, are they just going to go back to what it was that they were doing in the whole premise of Gardens of the Moon? Or do you think
1: they'll all hug and eat cake
0: after they're all done?
1: (laughs) I don't see that happening, no. Right. But cake would be good.
0: Yes. Yes. (laughs) So, what did you think about uh, basically her admitting that she assassinated Kalanvetta Dancer. And not that we didn't know that, but, you know, it kind of plays off the fact of some some other things that we've heard already, right? Like with other character interactions in their conversations about Lacine, And I think it was that part in the beginning where Bolt was kind of defending Lucene, Um, And, you know, they mentioned something about there was a greater need. And she kind of alludes to this, That, uh, but an empire is greater than any lone mortal. So it just makes me think that Lucene had reasons. And we've already kind of heard something similar to that. I feel like we've gotten two instances of something similar to that in this book. And it just, it appears that the needs of the empire, at least from Lucene's perspective, Were more important than the lives of the emperor and dancer.
1: Yeah, it's she must have been afraid of something happening. So, I mean, if she said she was preventing a civil war, was that between her and the both of them, or were Killinvit and Dancer gonna fight each other? Was something going, you know, was there a split there? You know,
0: well, I think it was Decem, because he was a servant of Hood at that time, but. Was it one of those things where, like, uh, you know, Kellenved, Dancer, and Desem always seemed to be, like, grouped together? So I'm wondering if it was one of those things where, like, they would have taken a side. Mm-hmm. Maybe. So that's why she did it. But Possible. it also kind of sounds like Desem was going to usurp the throne instead of her. Maybe.
1: People... Uh... You know when they but get power when they want power, get ambitious for sure. Right. Yeah. Try ex- things you probably wouldn't normally try. Uh, right. So
0: yeah, there's. I mean, it's really cool because we get. It's like all of everything that happened in Gardens of the Moon kind of gets like just vomited in this conversation, right? Like, everything that they're talking about, you know, isn't new any, new information by any means. But, like, it's really cool to have some of these names that we haven't heard of in a while kind of come back and, and remind us of those, those events. Right. But I think that when he has this thought about Lucene's acting, that's kind of where I get the feeling that he's also playing a game. And I kind of feel like he's winning. Because he doesn't believe a single word she's saying, in my opinion. But he's playing along to make her think that he does believe everything she's saying. And I just think that he's he's kind of outwitting her at this point. And I feel like in the next section we get a little confirmation of that. But this is where I feel like Alam oh, definitely still wants to kill a scene. I just think that his timing was thwarted. He doesn't have the element of a surprise anymore. And what better way to make you think that you don't have a surprise anymore by bluffing, right? Bluffing in telling her that no, I don't want to kill you anymore for now, right? Because for now, changes mine. Yeah, those are all my thoughts that I picked out. Uh, it, I guess it was nice to get Lucine's perspective on things. Um, I feel like it's kind of a little convenient that she has an answer for all of his charges, but yeah. I don't know. What do you think?
1: I I, I wasn't really expecting a conversation with her you were in just this
0: expecting book to be more confrontational, like a battle. Well, I just
1: or... I didn't know that. I guess I I didn't really expect that she would show up at all. That kind of surprised me in itself because I just I kind of thought that would maybe be something down the line we would get. Gotcha.
0: That's fair. I guess I can see that too. I didn't think that we were going to get an actual interaction in this book i thought it was just set up for when that was actually supposed to happen right yeah fair enough yeah i guess that's all i have about that uh very interesting section
1: all right well i'll take my last section here short one the seemingly unnatural darkness that invaded the old main hall had dispersed on the chair in the corner was a worn and withered corpse A warren opened in the back of the room and a tall man draped in green walked through. Looking at the corpse, he asked, Well, Empress Lasine's voice came from the dead lips. No longer a threat, the man asked if she was sure. She said that during her conversation with Kalam, he eventually realized she was not there in the flesh and that he was not unreasonable. She wished him to call off his hunters. The man said that they had been over this already, and that was impossible. Lucene spoke. I would not lose him, Topper. He laughed, saying he could not call them off, but that didn't mean they would succeed either. Even Dancer would have second thoughts about taking on Kalam. It was better to think of tonight as a thinning of the herd. She said that was generous. Topper said they had learned lessons in killing this night, and besides, he had a victim he could take his frustrations out on. She knew he spoke of Pearl, and Topper said he was no longer favored. She seemed to give him a warning, saying she trusted he would recover from this night. He said he would, but for now, he would let him sweat out Kalam in his game. A certain amount of humility always did a man good, and asked if she would agree, but she was gone. So, Topper thought he had been talking to a corpse, and he thought that's what he loved about her most. Her ability to make one eat their own words.
0: Ah, oh, man. We haven't seen Topper since, what, Chapter
1: 3 of Gardens of the Moon? Just had him talked about a little bit lately, but, yeah, we haven't seen him in a while. Yeah. Nice little revisit. I see he's
0: still wearing his green clothes.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. I I didn't really have anything for this at all.
0: What do you think of their interaction,
1: though? Is it just... I, I think... I guess I think it probably lends itself to what you think, that, you know, Clum still wants to kill her, but she doesn't think he's a threat. You know, she's boarded him off for now, but, um, yeah, I I think you're right. He's still going to go after him, her.
0: Well, I think it's because and i feel like a lot of things have alluded to it but you know even in pearl's conversation with kalam as he kind of had him under his control you know uh he was just like you could easily take out topper i think that like in lucene's mind kalam is like the number one claw and the fact that he went rogue right like he abandoned the claw is a statement enough Like, you know, I know you guys have your own little deal here, but like, can we not do this? Because he's better than you, Because I feel like what she's saying, you know?
1: Yeah, but I think it seems like she's afraid that if he's outnumbered, he's vulnerable, which is fair.
0: Yeah, but I guess I never really thought about it until, you know, Topper and Lucene are talking about Pearl, right? I mean, is there, was he supposed to do something else? Instead of just drop him in Malaz Harbor. You know what I mean? Like this, this kind of seems like he was supposed to do something else.
1: Well, I think they thought, you know, you stab him and throw him into the bay. That's known for sharks. The figure the sharks would take care of the rest, right? which which didn't happen. So I don't know. Must've figured that if you injure him decently enough, that should be enough to get him killed by other means.
0: True. Very
1: True. I just, I
0: don't, I don't get, I don't get how the Claws, Pearl and Mebra are all, maybe, maybe it's not. Well, he did talk about Mebra with Kalan, right? Pretty sure that he did. So I don't, I don't understand how they're all, how they're all connected,
1: but. It's, it's starting to get a little late for me to think that hard.
0: (laughs) Well, we only have one more section left. That's true. uh. I guess uh, with that, we could take it away if you'd like.
1: Yeah, like I said, I didn't have a ton, really much of anything on on that one, other than just feeding off whatever you had. Fair enough.
0: All right. As they were skirting the outside wall of the old keep, they ran into the captain of the guard. Manala pointed the crossbow at him and he raised his hands. Kalam stepped up and then dragged him into the shadows. Kalam asked where the holds unwelcome guests were hiding. He explains that the gatehouse guard or the captain explains that the gatehouse guard claims to have seen figures on the steps, but that particular guard is half-blind. Clom said that the captain could do better than that. The captain, who called himself Arigan, said that he'd just done the rounds and all and all was clear. Anala looked at the pennant flapping on the top of Mach's vein. She asked about its official guests and wondered where the bodyguards were. Arigan replied with amusement in his voice. Just then, some blackness billowed in the courtyard. Manala shouted a warning as she fired her crossbow. A cry of pain was heard. Clum, clotheslines the captain, which sent him sprawling to one side. He whirled with his knife at the ready. Four hands of the claw had appeared. Twenty killers now approached them. Throwing stars hissed through the darkness. Manala cried out as she staggered back. The crossbow flying from her grip. A wave of sorcery exploded over the cobblestones and then vanished. Shadows swirled in the midst of the hands, which added to the confusion. Kalam instantly recognized the huge creature as apt. Bodies now flung in all directions. The hand that was furthest away turned around to meet this new threat. The hunters tried to scatter as a sharper struck the ground. The explosion sent bits of metal flying through them. A lone claw closed in on Kalam with two thin-bladed knives. One struck Kalam in his right shoulder, the other nearly missing his face. Kalam's knife fell from his hand and he reeled back. The claw took this opportunity and leapt. The sack of cloth tacks intercepted the path of the man's head with a crunch. The hunter dropped to writhe on the ground. Hands gripped him and pulled him into the shadows. Disoriented, he said, Manala. Absalar responded and said that they had her, and Krakas had the assassin's stallion. The shadow closed in on all sides as sounds faded. Abslar observantly told Kalam that he was full of holes and it must have been a busy night. Kalam grunts and pulled a knife from his shoulder. Fiddler's face came into view and Kalam muttered that his face was damned ugly. He grinned and said that he was thinking the same of Kalam. Kalam suddenly realized that he might have some wounds. Kalam suddenly realized that Manala might have taken some wounds. Absalar assured him that they were minor. Fiddler then asked if he had found the Empress and if he killed her. Kalam said that he didn't kill her and that he'd changed his mind. Fiddler was in awe as he asked Kalam why he didn't go through with it. Kalam responded to Fidd's question by telling him that he was a sweet sack of bones and that he'd tell him the tale. Provided Fiddler tells the tale of his travels to, travels to the Azath. He asked if there were any problems with the Azath, to which Fidd said that there was nothing to it. Plum sat up and asked where they were, a new voice saying that it was the realm of Shadow, my realm. Fiddler groaned and looked up. He said, Shadow Throne, is it now? Kellenved was more like it, and they weren't fooled. The figure giggled and said that Fiddler was a soldier of the Malazan, Malazan army, and he had taken a vow, a vow to the emperor. Fiddler responded that he had taken a vow to the empire. Kellenved responded that they should should not quibble about minor things. The important part was that the Aptorian had delivered them to him. Aptorian could be heard making her clicking sounds at him. He called her a clever bitch and then addressed Kalam saying that the assassin had found himself a woman. He was impressed and now they must wish to settle down, right? He states that he wishes to reward them all, his loyal subjects. Absalar said in a cool manner that she and her father want nothing more to do with him or Contillion, and every other ascendant. They would leave this warren and return to the Kenes coast. Crocus jumped in and added that he would go with them. Amana slash Kelinvid said that this was wonderful. To the very road where they first met. Go then, and he sends them with his smoothest regards. He raised his arms and caressed the air with his ghost-like fingers. Shadows embraced all three figures, and they were gone. Amanis giggled again and said that Cotillion will be pleased. He turned to face Kalam and asked what of him. It was a rarity that the god could be generous. Pilder crouched next to Kalam and said that he wasn't thrilled at the prospect of the god handing out offers. Kalam responded that they hadn't heard any of the offers yet. Kalam called out to the shadow throne and said that he could use a rest. Glancing at Manala, who then nodded her head, Kalam continued on to add that he'd like to rest someplace safe. Shadow Throne said that he would send him to someplace safe, and Aptorian would be right at his side. Fiddler sighed and said that this sounded dull as hell and to count him out. The god cocked his head and said that he owed nothing to the sapper, but Apt speaks for him as she's acquired a certain leverage. He guessed that Fiddler may want to rejoin with the Bridgeburners. Fiddler simply said that he didn't want to. Kalam turned in surprise at hearing Fiddler's response. The sapper, the sapper began to explain that on their way up to Mach's hold, they had overheard some guards talking about some recruits holed up in Malaz Harbor that were on their way to join Tavor. Fiddler met Kalam's eyes. Fiddler tells Kalam that he's sorry, but he's all down for getting involved in putting down the rebellion in Kalam's Kalam's homeland, so Fiddler would enlist again. Kalam reached out a blood-soaked hand and told him to just stay alive, and that's all that he asked. Fiddler just nodded. Shadow Throne is heard telling Fiddler that Lucene doesn't deserve soldiers such as himself, but if he must, when the mist clears, Fiddler will find himself in Smiley's tavern. Fiddler said that this would do him fine, and he appreciated it. A moment later, the sapper was gone. Kalam turned a jaded eye to Shadow Throne and told him that he wouldn't try to kill the scene again, and and that his hunt is over. Kalam said that he was tempted to warn Shadow Throne and Cotillion to stay off of her and leave her to the Empire. Shadow Throne repeated what Kalam had said, moving closer to the assassin. He said to Kalam to bite it back, or he'll come to regret it. We do as we please. Never forget that mortal. Manala edged forward toward Kalam and said that gifts from gods make her nervous, especially this one. Kalam nodded. Shadow Throne heard what was said and explained that his offer to settle down was still on the table. Giggling, he said to them that they would be husband and wife and bear children. No, scratch that. No need to wait. Wait. Apt had found some children for them. The mists that surrounded them suddenly cleared, and both Manala and Kalam saw an encampment sprawled over a summit of a low hill. Small figures strolled among the tent rows. Shadow Throne said that Kalam wished for their lives, or at least that's what Apt had claimed. And so now you have them. Kalam's children await him, all 1,300 of them. It's quite the adoption Yes, and one they didn't get a say
1: in. <laughs> they did not.
0: Okay, so I got really sad when Crocus, Relic, and Absalar are just gone, right? Like, and I really hope this isn't the last we'll see of them. But also, does this mean though that her memories of dancer have been severed as well? Like it's weird to see this circle completed, right? And even, you know, Amanis slash Shadow Throne slash Kellenved kind of make a statement about this, too. Like, oh, back to where it all began,
1: you know? I hope it's not the last we see of them, and I I don't think it's going to be. I don't think so either, but,
0: I mean, it's just weird. It's just weird. Like, we've been on this journey with them since Gardens of the Moon, and to see it kind of all tie back to that very first chapter of gardens of the moon is just highlights our journey as well. You know, like we've come full circle with that particular storyline, right? She gets possessed. She gets unpossessed by Anamander Rake, who drives out cotillion, you know, she starts to have memories of dancer. Uh, yeah. And now she's back to Amanus.
1: I'm, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm sure there'll be a, a fork in the road. It'll be interesting to see what happens. For yeah.
0: Sure. Um, the only other thing that like really threw me off here was how does Aptorian have leverage over the Sapper, over Fiddler? Like, Clearly Aptorian has other prerogatives, right, based on how the way this chapter ends. I mean, she must. I don't know what her goal is. Well, I think that uh Shield Anvil Dylan gave us our answer, and that is to essentially raise an army of the undead. But for what? Revenge against Lasine? I don't think that even though Kalam is telling him to like back off, like Amanus is like, don't like we do as we please. I think that he's still headstrong on taking Lasine out and I think at this point he's gonna use Kalam to do it. You know, we don't we don't get their reaction. I mean,
1: technically it is someplace safe, right? I I guess it's safe. I mean, I don't know what bad could happen to them there. Yeah, I
0: don't know. It just kind of like I always feel like it's like the Wishmaster movie. Did you ever watch that? Where like when you never even heard make of it. a wish, yeah, huh? Never even heard never of heard of it? No. Oh. The first one's really good. The other two are terrible. <laughs> but, you know, basically the whole genie in a bottle thing, that premise, right? And when you make a wish, it goes wrong. You know, that's kind of like what I'm getting here. Not quite that vibe, but just Amanis is is saying that it's rare that he gets to be generous. But I feel like there's some strings attached to this for sure. Oh,
1: I'm sure there is. There there always is, right?
0: Right, so my guess, but I don't know. I mean, I guess Kalam and Manala may have an opportunity to say no, like no thanks. We'll we'll just not be safe. I don't know.
1: I don't know. <laughs> well, they're gonna. I what they're gonna. I don't know what the hell they're gonna do with these thirteen hundred kids.
0: Yeah. Also, I feel like this this chapter is, or the last couple of chapters are just. A way of saying goodbye to these characters, you know, a way to exit them from the book um, and start them on their new journeys. But the only one that that hasn't happened with with is Fellows and and, and Haboric. The last we were left off, they were swept into the whirlwind. So I think that if I had to guess, the last chapter is probably going to be about them. But everyone else has been gone. Icarian, Mapo, they left uh through tremolore everyone else is being taken back and separated you know what i mean like it just feels like it's this book's way of saying goodbye
1: to these characters i think it's we're gonna ex- s- oh, go ahead yeah. sorry i i was cutting you off i'm sorry
0: no it's fine i was just going to say it it just it feels like it's their exit out of the book
1: i agree and i, th- I think you're right i think we'll see felson i think we're going to see her at aaron i think Do you think it's going to be a week
0: later and Tavor shows up? Do you think that's how the book will end? With, like, like, Tavor arriving?
1: Her ships appearing or whatever? Maybe. Yeah. I could see that.
0: I feel like that would be a nice way to tie it off, right? Like, and to me, this is exactly what, you know, I mean, things are being tied off, right? Like, these characters' journeys are an add and end,
1: you know? I don't know if I would say it would be a nice ending, but... It would be fitting. It's a it's a
0: good stopping point, uh, so that they can pick up where, you know, wherever their their whenever their next interactions are, you know. Right. But yeah, I'm I'm curious as to how they're going to, you know, because outside of Fiddler, right? Kalam, Absolar, and Crocus, they all seem to be like, I'm done, I'm out of this game. You know, I wonder how they're going to get back into it. Not so much Kalam, but Absolar and Crocus. Krak-
1: I'm sure they'll get roped back in somehow.
0: Well, I guess those are all my thoughts. Um, I definitely was not expecting Shadow Throne to, I guess, offer these things. Um, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, it seems strange. And like you said, I wonder if there'll be some strings tied to them. I'm sure.
0: I think so, for sure. Yeah, I feel like the majority of this chapter was just either very linear, moving things to the next next stage and very action orientated. Yeah,
1: there was a lot of action in this chapter.
0: I mean, it's definitely nice to get um, it's definitely nice for Kalam, at least to get out of the situation that he in, and, you know, get a little bit of reprieve from the claw. But I wonder if we'll see more of that, because that was fun to read just those sections where he's out outsmarting and eluding you know 20 fucking people right but yeah man i got nothing else it was a great chapter um yeah i'm looking forward to finishing up this book tonight
1: we made it made it to the end here we did book number two man we're one one one-fifth of the way through the main ten for the main ten, right? Yep. We still
0: have another what, fourteen books on top of that? Uh, a few, right? Yep, just a few. But I think it'll be cool to you know read read the main the main ten, and then the novels of the Malazan Empire, um, and then you know intertwine that with the the novellas, and then go back and and do read the Forge of Darkness and. The Path of Light, or The Fall of Light, and then to read Esselmont's uh, Path to Ascendancy
1: stuff. It'll all be good stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But cool, man. Um, Yeah, I guess I'm sure that I'll text you when I finish it, so.
1: (laughs) Sounds good. Well, enjoy your, your evening of reading here, sir, and we'll talk soon.
0: You do the same, sir. Bye. Bye.